Josh told me that he grew up a nominally, in a nominally Christian household. Though his father was a non-practicing Jew, his mother identified herself as Presbyterian and attended the nearby church every once in a while, where she had Josh baptized as an infant. He went with her sometimes and attended the youth group, especially when they did service projects, such as in Appalachia and so on. Now in his late 20s and working the Wall Street beat, Josh described himself as increasingly spiritual, but he wasn't sure what that had to do with religion per se. Still, he couldn't deny, ignore the undeniable tug he felt when he had stepped into church here one Sunday, sort of by accident. He, he'd been walking by as folks were gathering, and he joined them. Uncertain of what to make of this inner awakening, one day between trades, he decided to shoot me an email and ask for an appointment. And when we met, we, among other things, he wanted to talk about this, quote, this whole Jesus thing. Jesus seemed to have it going on, he said, but he just couldn't put it all together. Eventually, he joined up with us for the time he spent in New York and eventually moved away. Meredith was a 60-something professional woman, married once and divorced, no children, reasonably successful, affable, and thoughtfully alert. She told me she had grown up, quote, a rocked-ribbed Baptist, unquote. That's the way she put it. Religion was big in her childhood family's household, as was, by the way, racism and sexism and a whole amalgam of stuff that had been smashed up together. Much of what her father practiced was given the patina of scriptural righteousness, so his semi-abusive treatment of her mother was peppered with quotes from the Bible about how the man was the head of the household and stuff like that. On the one hand, she had always felt God-connected when she had been in worship. On the other hand, when she went to college, she couldn't wait to throw off the claustrophobic trappings of her family's neurotic religion. She still prayed. She, she wondered if I would be surprised to learn that she had studied Tai Chi for a decade or so and had immersed herself in several spiritual traditions over the years. One or two, she added, she felt sure I would not approve of. Still, to some extent, these had sort of scratched that religious itch that had never left her alone. But the day she came to church, the day she came to church at the suggestion of a friend, she had been unprepared for the tears that welled up starting with the first hymn. They just started to flow and they didn't stop until after lunch. There was sadness in them, she realized, but also some gladness and hope and maybe most of all, relief. She didn't quite get that, but thought it had something to do with finding home. That night she said she went to her apartment and before she fell asleep spontaneously went to her knees and offered a prayer of thanksgiving. She'd never done that before 
It had never occurred to her before, but it seemed the right thing to do at the time. Now she wanted to make some sense of all this. Friends, I'm guessing you'd agree with me that we live in a time of great spiritual agitation. Our culture is rife with spiritual seekers of every sort who attempt to make their way to the most fulfilling destination they can as they respond to a deep inner longing. Notwithstanding the current political chatter about the contours of evangelical America, Many dabble in myriad spiritual approaches, including ancient esoteric traditions like astrology and psychic phenomenon, as well as amalgams of Eastern practices and Western science. Every variety of religious expression is as available today as a click of a mouse or meeting one's next door neighbor. And I suppose this is especially true within the astonishing diversity of New York City. Now, over the years, the, the, church, the church has condemned these alternative spiritual means and their practitioners. Yet it occurred to me as I reread the famous story of the wise men's trek to Bethlehem that Matthew takes a different measure of the integrity of their purposes. I mean... The wise men were stargazers. That's what we're told. They followed the stars. From Matthew's point of view, these three magi were authentic spiritual seekers. And even though their methodology was stargazing, they discovered a remarkable truth that transcended their immediate context and led them into alien territory. In a surprising location far from home, they found what they had been searching for in the birth of a child to a young peasant woman in a foreign land. Even Jewish scholars were summoned to confirm the potential in the Magi's quest. From Matthew's perspective, these foreign exotics have better instincts about the nature of this child than most of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We haven't traditionally paid attention to that fact. At the end of their journey, of course, these so-called wise men from the East discover a truth that transcends all reasonable expectation. Their seeking is honored and rewarded. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew reports a mature Jesus saying this, Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. Well, Jesus was addressing a hillside that was crowded with people, no doubt representing every sort of background. He had no litmus test for their seeking, right? And after all, Jesus himself was eventually excluded from the accredited list of rabbis and teachers of his day, right? ultimately led to the cross as a condemned outsider. Those who followed him broke with established religious norms. The seeking that he advocated was a radical departure from status quo thinking. 
Well, this suggests to me an important corollary for today. Any seeker, either by chance or authentic pursuit, can lurch into the stable holding the Christ child. I'm thinking that likely includes a number of persons present today. Certainly the church would not exist but for the simple faith and subsequent determination of seekers who stumbled into the hay surrounding Jesus' birthing trough. On any given Sunday, the congregation here includes a number of persons who would be classified as marginal seekers rather than, say, the fully committed or the truly knowledgeable. And yet, I would add, the truth is that among the various amateur spiritualists who attend, maybe some who are better able to kneel at the major than those who have gawked there for a lifetime. Not every committed Christian in name has a taste for actually kneeling in the dust and muck of a barn in a backwater town in astonished recognition that this is where God prefers to make an entrance rather than more acceptable and presentable venues for the high and the mighty, those that are connected, those esteemed as especially righteous. The musty sentimentality with which this story has been swathed for cradle Christians obscures the radical implications in God's condescension to humanity. Everyone has been invited to God's natal party. Even those who have been traveling radically different paths on their search for their true home. And those who have visited the manger many times as a matter of rote habit can sometimes miss the promise held in honest asking and seeking. Surely even the most well-schooled Christian needs regular reminding that no one is above another, that no one has a corner on the complete truth, and that even the baptized travel a path with many, many distractions, some leading to disastrous ends with pious-sounding names. Given the ingrained repetition of this story for many churchgoers, it's worth remembering that this child savior will grow into a man who will say things like this, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. God's compelling hospitality constantly regenerates the family of faith. The insight that prompted St. Augustine's famous claim that our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee, O Lord, exudes a passionate spiritual modesty that reflects the universal human quest for reunion with our Creator, the author of our lives and the lover of our souls. And in this, friends, we are all alike. In these walls and outside these walls, we're all alike in this regard. Every last one of us alike in this need. This is the longing I sense in the famous story of the Magi. This authentic search for truth and reunion with God challenges the assumptions of the first, 
and satisfies the thirst of the last. Churches that characterize such hospitality reflect the radiance of the Christ child and serve as a beacon for all who are restless for their true home, like Josh Josh and Meredith. In this way, the star of Bethlehem is replicated a thousandfold over those churches, or shall we say, mangers, scattered here and there in cities and towns near and far away. Everyone who happens to be worshiping today All of you has your own, each of you has your own idiosyncratic story to tell concerning about how you got here. Some may have no idea who's in the manger. Others perhaps have mistaken ideas about the swaddled child But I believe that all of us are present due to the prompting of God in our holy longing, who welcomes our asking, seeking, and knocking, and especially then our finding. The Magi's journey to Bethlehem exposes God's intention to welcome everyone home, even you.